the only way to score is of course to play uh, with a handbrake off. Hello, I'm Ian Stone and this is another special edition of Handbrake Off, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by The Athletic. Our guests this week are Amy Lawrence and James McNicholas, the esteemed writers from The Athletic. Hello, guys. Good morning. Hello, Ian. Hi, I'm doing all right. Thank you very much. And normally we bring you one of the greatest right-backs ever to play for Arsenal. Well, today we have two. A very warm welcome to Lee Dixon and Lauren. Hey! Hello, guys. How are you, mate? How are you doing? Nice to see you. Great. Thank you very, very much. Thanks for joining us, Lauren. You're in Seville, you said. Sevilla, I hope you're doing okay. Uh, Now, as you're here, we thought we'd talk about some of our favourite moments when you graced uh, the Arsenal shirt. So we'll start with Amy. Uh, Amy, what, what's your Lauren memories? Um, hi, Lauren. It's uh, it's lovely to talk to you, and I'm afraid to say I think I might upset you first thing I say today. Because um, <laughs> hi, it's... Amy. It's always it's always a pleasure talking to you. Uh, you know, I text you. you back a few yeah. weeks ago when Liverpool lost. That game against Watford. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know. It was an important moment for everyone to make that connection. Um, I, I know it's maybe not the moment you're most proud of in your Arsenal career, but uh, that Old Trafford nil-nil <laughs> last-minute penalty um, and the moment when uh, it was important to let Ruud van Nistelrooy know what everybody thought of him. Um, I think, in a way, what I loved about it is that any successful team needs the idea that you all fight together. And if you upset one of us, you upset all of us. Um, And if somebody needs to react, we all react. And I think the way that as a group, everybody responded basically to the fact that Van Nistelrooy had got Patrick Vieira sent off, most people thought pretty unfairly by this kind of pretend reaction to to a kick. Um, I loved the way that you guys responded it showed how much you wanted to win it showed how unified you were as a team and it showed how much you believed in each other so uh Lauren that would probably be my favorite moment of yours <laughs> <laughs> absolutely I mean uh, people just ask me many times uh, would you do that again I'll, I always said 120 percent I will do it in order to protect I don't mind about the five the six game ban the forty thousand uh, fine, I don't care. As long as I want to protect the people I care for, I want to protect the people I share uh, the dressing room, the people I love. Because I always said when I went to Arsenal and I came to Arsenal, I feel like my family. Uh, we had a very great bunch of people. It's not only about quality, because you have the quality, you have a fantastic player like Dennis Bergkamp, Thierry uh, a lot of great, great players, Canu, Lee Dixon, but it was something, it was like a bomb, <laughs> Lee Dixon, of course, <laughs> Tony Adams, uh, Seaman, Ray Parlow, which I, I love, Ray, he's a fantastic guy, um, but we were like a bomb, we were feeling like a, we cared about each other in the pitch and outside the pitch, so I consider the Arsenal as my family, so therefore, I will do whatever is necessary to protect my family. So in this case, that game, as you mentioned, uh, against United away from home, I think I will do it every single year if it's necessary. Hey, I'm prepared to chip in money for the next fine if you want to do that. Um, <laughs> James, James, what, yeah. is your, what are your memories? 
Well, look, there's a really obvious one, which is, I think, the penalty against Tottenham in 2002. But I want to go for something a bit different. Chelsea is an opponent that always means a lot to me because I've got a lot of Chelsea fans in my family. And there was an FA Cup tie in 2003. I think Arsenal won 3-1. And we had 10 men, I think. Seagan was sent off. But Lauren scored a brilliant goal. He cut in from the right-hand side, hit it with his left foot from outside what? the box. And it went into the yeah, it went into the <laughs> near post and, and cemented the victory, 3-1. And uh, yeah, it was a really important win on the way to winning the trophy that year. So I'd pick that. Brilliant. Yeah, that, that was a great moment as well. I mean, uh, when you see... Uh, uh, you play against your one of the biggest rivals, it's Chelsea, which is one of the best teams uh, in the Premier League. Uh, the other day we were talking about why we become champion and what was the subject between the the now day generation like Liverpool didn't uh, finish invincible or or Manchester City didn't finish invincible. I, I said to most of the people that in our time we play against the best United in the history and the best Chelsea in the history, and one of the best Liverpool in the history. So, a Newcastle as well. So, those top five teams in the Premier League make us a really, very, very difficult to achieve that that goal that we did uh, in 2004-2005. And going back to this game, particularly, it was a key moment where you see that we're a little bit of struggle because Chelsea scored that goal, and then we have to bounce back and try to do something else. So, when Paolo gave me that ball, I was thinking what to do, whether to go to the corner <laughs> or, or wait and waste the time in that corner and, and, and have a free kick or something there. And I, suddenly I came at myself because I, I see the gap between sending and, and, the, and the central back. So I said, OK, I'm going to take my chance because they are quite open. It's a bit deep. It doesn't get closer to me. So I changed my mind. And then I went inside and I showed my left leg. It was a brilliant, brilliant effort for the Hulk. That was great to watch. Lee, what about you? I hope you remember this. It was, I think it was the week before the cup final and obviously Lauren uh, had taken over the reins with the number two shirt. And it was, it was actually my, um, I, I felt very comfortable about that because I was very protective about that position, played it for so long that... I wanted to hand the reins over to somebody that I respected and was also a, a brilliant footballer. And Lauren ticks all those boxes. And he was a good friend of mine. We kind of, you know, it ruffled a few feathers when he first came because he was playing kind of midfield area. And, and then, you know, I'd kind of got wind of it that, that uh, Arsene saw him as my replacement. So and I hope I helped him along the way in, in, in those early days to sort of, um, lead him down that road to taking over but I do remember before the cup final um, in my final season 2002 we were in the gym doing we used to play a game and I can't tell you what the game is properly called because it's a rude word but <laughs> yeah. we used to play this keepy uppy game and you had four lives and every time you dropped a ball you lost a life and um, we used to play every morning uh, before every game and fans used to look at us flicking each other's ears because that was at the end of it if you got if you dropped four four lives you got all the lads got to flick your ear with their you know a little flick on the well it started off as a little flick on the ear and then it became absolutely brutal and i remember i remember the week <laughs> of the cup final we were warming up in the gym and we were doing this game and i lost and uh, all the lads started flicking on. I think Lauren stitched me up on a little ball that made me lose my life. So I wasn't very happy. And uh, and he flicked my ear, nearly took my ear off. 
Um, and it was kind of one of those moments. I like looked at him and I went, and I, th- I remember saying to him, I don't know if you remember it, I remember saying to him, yeah, you got a cut, because he was obviously playing in the cup final at the weekend. And we had about three or four training sessions to go before that final. And I sort of looked at him and I went, yeah, you know what you're doing, because I've got three or four training sessions to have a proper kick at you to try and get in the side for the cup final. So I was really angry and I wanted to kick him so hard. And then I think it was Ray Parler or Tony Adams leaning to me and said, you do know that he boxes, don't you? And I was like, yeah, well, we all box, don't we? But boy, can that boy, I don't know if you know about Lauren's boxing, but do not get in a fight with him. So Van Nistelrooy, just be very, very wary going forward. If you ever bump into Lauren, don't don't get in a fight with him. So I left him alone that week and he played in the cup final and obviously we won the double. So thanks for that. <laughs> do you remember that? You know, I flick you, I flick you so hard because... You know, you, you speak in that kind of cockpit like Paolo. I couldn't understand you, so, you know. I can't believe he's, like, I can't I believe said, he's put me in the so, Paolo Cockney so, category. So, so listen, so I kept it quiet. So I said, okay, now is my time. You're going to see now. I'm going to flick you. <laughs> oh, bless. But talking, talking to, you know, you're a fantastic professional. I have a big respect for you because you play more than 500 games. Nearly 600 game, I guess, from Arsenal, mm-hmm. which is it, it's not easy to do that. I mean, let's tell you that how professional was Lee Dixon in all the 20 years of thing you you've been in the club. Mm-hmm. This is unbelievable. How many players can achieve this goal? It's not easy. That's tell you that professional, committed, and fighting for the flag. This is what I like. People that the 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 once you play, you are teammates, or they're going to Arsenal, or you they're going to a club that you love. They have to have these three conditions, committed, uh, professional, and fighting for the flag, uh, in, in all in the same goal. That's why I love you, guys like you. And going back to that kind of flicky that we used to play <laughs> in, 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 <laughs> in the gym, if you remember Matty Q and, yeah. and this guy, <laughs> Pennant. You know, thinking that uh, Martin Q, he was about to lose. Yeah. So, <laughs> and I was waiting the time to give him a strong ball, make him lose. So <laughs> as soon as Pena gave that hard ball to Martin, Martin ran away, ran against him, he started to run and say, do you win? I want to kill you. You know, so we were all laughing because Martin Q was unbelievable. You can laugh the whole day because Pena was... Uh, going against him in that way to make us all laugh. So, He's you know, got a proper pair of ears uh, we, to we, flick as well, Martin, yeah. hasn't he? <laughs> <laughs> we had a fantastic uh, period on, uh, on that dressing room. There was many, many days that we, you know, to extrapolate the, the the pressure into funny moments. So that liberated a little bit, that pressure that we we all have when you play in a big game, in a big team. So- Salaram, when you first arrived, you came from Mallorca, right? Mm. And I was reading there was a possibility of you moving to Roma, but you ended up at Arsenal. And when you when you got into the Arsenal dressing room, did you look around at, at professionals like Lee and Tony Adams and think, oh, this is a big step up from where I've been playing? Not really. Not really. <laughs> Honestly. <laughs> Thanks for that. <laughs> no, no. no. <laughs> Honestly. <laughs> Honestly, no, I have to be honest with you. You know, I always when I talk to many, I try to always be honest. My big problem was I didn't speak English. I mean, people in the South, uh, South people from Spain, 
for us it's very difficult to speak even spanish so so to speak proper spanish is very difficult for us so the fact that you uh, it was more the way that i couldn't communicate uh, uh, I come from uh, south, you go to Mallorca, from Mallorca, to, no, from Valencia, fantastic, lovely days, 360 days, sunny, you go to Mallorca, same, and then suddenly you go to London, it was cloudy, uh, very cold, it was snowing, end of March, I said, what is this? <laughs> so, <laughs> so I was more concerned about my own a uh, way to to say that uh, you know i can't talk i can't talk english i can't i don't like the word uh, this is so different so i was more concerned about the lifestyle and also my family because my family wasn't they were not happy it was very hard to to go out to, to with this weather condition with this uh, without talking the the language so i was more concerned in that way the family ways and how can i cope with a new situation rather than say okay this is a big player this is a, a fantastic player i didn't care about that really and uh, i was more concerned about myself and also you know when you are 23 you're a bit shy you, you can't express yourself you can be nervous about what what means to be uh, what means set pieces i don't know what means set pieces <laughs> so, <laughs> this, <laughs> so welcome I, to uh, us exactly. don't know what set pieces so, I, are. I, 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 I was lost and uh, you know so i was more concerned on that rather than uh, i play with big players for me that's nothing who helped you with the with the language i mean robert perez is fluent in spanish because he has a spanish parent were there certain players who were kind of helping you along or did you just have to pick it up as you went along yes first of all silvino the the first mate uh, i had in arsenal was silvino silvino was always the first guy that i i met at the dressing room so sats, um, suddenly we made a quick connection. We were talking, you know, because I always like the Brazilian, Brazilians, uh, not the dressing rooms uh, I've been before in my own Calavant and Sevilla, always get on with the Brazilians. So first mate was Silvino. I was talking to him. And straight away, there was a connection between us. So I went to his house, his wife. So we made friends. So, uh, and he was the one that really uh, and also Nelson Vivas. I remember Nelson Vivas because he was a Spanish speaker. He was always talking and giving me some advice, this, that. So, you know, those two, they were the ones that, that made me feel uh, comfortable in the dressing room. So you're a young guy, you're over here, you're a bit lost, you can't speak that much of the language. And then the next thing that happens is the manager says to you, OK, I want you to play in a new position. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I remember that he told me once that you were not so positive about um, being asked to play right back and that you would have uh, a lot of convincing. Um, how strongly did you disagree with him and was he right in the end? Not as strongly as I disagreed with him. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, because uh, first of all, I, I, in Mallorca we were playing a contra-attack. I was playing in a midfield position, right midfield, but we were contra-attacks. All sit back, waiting at the back, and then as soon as we win the ball, go forward quick. And then we have to change to readapt to go uh, to play as a full back and uh, with the four the line close to the middle of the half way, and then <laughs> coming out with the ball uh, without play long ball. So 
I, I need I have to readapt into the new system and also to the new position. So I said, Lincoln, uh, this is um, Benger was was looking at me. He says, yes, you can do it because you know player that they've got you know they have the sense of the the passing game. They can play in any position. So, so I was looking at him and thinking about myself. Okay, now, this is terrible. I mean, <laughs> God. <laughs> <laughs> this position, mama mia! But in the meantime, I think people have to play. Have to be intelligent. If if it was a different, uh, we are talking about the best Arsenal in history. If it was another team, uh, with all the respect to all the teams, I would have said, look, no, I want to play in this position because I'm a right midfield. This is my position. I don't care. I want to play there. But I was looking around. We were seven, eight players for two positions. On the left was. And on the right was Red Parlov, uh, Penan, uh, Sylvain Wilton at the time he couldn't play a from. Sometimes he played on that right hand side. Yeah. On the left hand side you have Van Bronkos, Pires, Freddy Lumber, uh, myself. So we were like eight players for two positions. So I said to myself, look, listen, <laughs> what I want to play this is the best side, <laughs> the best Arsenal history. I want to be in the stand and watching them play. Look, I think I was right in order to consider the decision and stop arguing with the manager because it was pointless. It was either challenge all those seven players for that right midfield spot yeah. or attack the 38-year-old at the right back who was, the, who was just <laughs> floundering, floundering, the yeah, floundering at the time, <laughs> thinking, I can't go on, my knee's going to collapse. So I think you made the right decision, Lauren. Yeah, I wanted to ask, Lauren, having made that decision, OK, I'm, I'm going to give it a go at right back. How do you learn... The position are you watching videos are you talking to arson and pat rice and did you talk to lee at all you know did he provide lee you can chip in mm -hmm. too w were you sort of mentoring lauren as he went on that path to develop as well, a right i think through gritted yeah. teeth oh, no 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 i mean I, I there's one thing that you know there's loads of, i've got loads of faults and loads of uh, things i can't do on a football pitch but one thing i was very good at and is probably one of my strengths was my um, ability to think about the game. I was a deep thinker of positionally um, how I played that position and also reasonably intelligent enough to know that I couldn't go on forever. And I, I, I'd seen off quite a few sort of attempted coups on that right back position over the years, you know, Pal Lydison um, and a few others to name. And and everyone who came in kind of like, because I was, I didn't get injured very often. And um, so I didn't miss many games. We were, I was part of a unit that, that was together and then we were stronger together than we were as individuals. So that kind of all worked. So, but when I got to, when Lauren came to the club, I, I realised what a you know, I didn't know he was going to play right back when he first came, but you always see a, a threat when you get to a certain age. You think, well, they might be coming to take my place. And it wasn't long before I realised that he was going to make a very, very good... He was already a very, very good footballer. And he had the fight, he had the tenacity, he had the, the love for the badge. You could see that straight away. And he loved to tackle. He had that steel in him. And I, I looked at him and thought he could absolutely take over from me. Um, and he came in 2000, didn't you? You signed in 2000. So I had a, I, that season and then the season after, it was kind of a, a learning curve for him. And obviously in season 2002, when I retired, I only played about 12, 13 games that season. So he'd already taken over. 
and I was on the bench watching him. And I and I I'd like to think I helped him because I, I saw that he was he was the uh, the heir apparent, and I and I wanted to pass over any sort of information. I, I was always there to 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 lend a, an ear if he wanted to. I mean, he's he was quite he's quite a quiet. Uh, play. I'm talking as if he's not on the line, but I'm just, you know, he was quite, he was quite, he was quite quiet. He wasn't, he, he wasn't as gobby as the rest of us, or quite a few of us, and me included. So, he, he always, I always got the sense he was listening to all sorts of information. Um, and I was, as I said to you before, I was, you know, absolutely proud as punch when they went undefeated, and and he was part of that because uh, I like, I liked him a lot as a player and and, and a human being as well. So. Um, now you can ask him whether I helped him or not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the well, question that, now. That was the question. <laughs> yes, of course. I mean, uh, uh, one of the best games I've played as a right back, it was against Manchester United uh, away from home when we made the, uh, we won the league at Old Trafford. Mm. I mean, as a defender, that was one of my best games. And I remember before that game, he was talking about uh, we have to be careful about uh, Ryan Giggs because Ryan Giggs is always coming inside. So we were giving some advices before that game. I remember perfectly well uh, at the beginning of that game. Uh, before we get out for the warm-up, we were giving some good advice in order to stop Ryan Giggs. So mm. that was one of my best games. Yeah. But over the years, the one that I was looking about and it was on top of me, every single part, not only with me, uh, and you know that Lee, yeah. uh, as well. Yeah. With the back four was Pat Rice. Yeah. You know, Pat Rice, he was, you know, screaming. I can't repl rep replicate his, his word here <laughs> because, you know, he, <laughs> but he was every single day with the back four, go like that, Lauren, do this, Lauren, do that, Saul, do this, do that. Pat Rice, he was, I mean, every single day, on top of us, in order to make us improve as uh, individuals in that back four, and also give good advice on how to do this over there, and stop working online together. You can make an upside. This is one of the best advice that, uh, well, uh, many of them that uh, Patrice said. You never make an upside. Don't go with the line. If the guy that has the ball doesn't, uh, is not under pressure. So you cannot make the offside. The guy that is the opponent uh, is with the ball and he doesn't have any pressure, any player around him. So you cannot go and do offside. So many tips like that. Uh, he was doing it and said to us, they in, they out, they in, they out. So I have to say that, that the guy that really was on top of us, it was Pat Price. I mean, you got you got advice from two of the best le uh, right backs that Arsenal have ever had, so that's quite uh, useful, I would say. Let's talk about the invincible season. Um, when did you start to think that it could happen? I don't know the others, but I never think about it. I didn't care because I was used going game by game. I didn't pay attention what uh, the newspaper or was was the mood away from the dressing room of other people were talking about Invincible. I never talk about the Invincible, honestly, until the last game that we played at Highbury. When we were really know that we might lose this game. Let's do it because we are inches away to make something in the history. 
But I never thought during the year that uh, we are at the end of the season, we're going to be invincible. Maybe the manager, maybe some player in the Petit Comité, but I never uh, in that season thinking about being invincible, really. Well, I mean, we all know that one of the big moments was the Manchester United game. Amy, you wanted to talk specifically about that, didn't you? Yeah, I know I mentioned it at the beginning of the show. Um, but one thing that came across quite clearly from talking to not just you, but a lot of uh, your teammates of that time when they reflect on, on the incident at Old Trafford is it was really obvious that as a group of players, everybody completely couldn't stand Ruud van Nistelrooy. So this wasn't an incident that came about just because of that moment. But I think in general, playing against him a lot, uh, there was something about him that seemed to really wind the players up. And I'm just wondering yeah. what specifically about Ruud van Nistelrooy um, drove yeah. you guys crazy. Yeah, I tell you what, because uh, every time we play against them, it was making uh, spit in some players. It was, uh, you know, give you a little tackle behind when the referee wasn't looking. It, it go to your back, it give your elbow, a spit into others. This is very natural. I have to say that. Therefore, when we, we thought that uh, it was unfair to send off because Patrick Villa didn't kick him. It was kicked the, the it, well, well it, it wasn't a great action what Patrick did, but he never contact Van Nistelrooy and Van Nistelrooy react. He reacted like uh, it was hate or something, but uh, during many games that we play against uh, Ruth Van Nistelrooy, this was Ruth Van Nistelrooy. It was such, uh, uh, how to say it, um, um, he was always provoking people during games, spitting, kicking, going behind, giving an elbow, this, that, you know, things like that. When he missed that penalty, therefore everyone went against him because now, you know, if you leave Martin Q for an instant without a referee, without the cameras, I don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's interesting because I've asked Martin Kieran about this and I think he was a little bit ashamed about it when it first happened. But I think as time went on and he realised what it meant to the fans, I think he felt secretly pleased about it. Do you feel the same <laughs> way? Well, <laughs> I don't know because I never saw Martin Kieran a few times when I went to London. I guess... If uh, Martin Q has to do this again, he will do it because one thing about I like about Martin Q, if you I always said if you cut Martin Q's vein, he will bleed Arsenal. I mean, he go Arsenal all the way, all the way. So I mean, this is Martin Q. What I would love to know really is how when 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 things like the the ban come in or the fine or whatever how did you feel about that lauren was there any anger or resentment from your side did you feel it was unjust or did, or were you just okay with it yeah i was i was feeling very angry i was feeling very um fair treated because i think six game it was too much i mean what six game and also forty thousand pound fine for, for both things i mean uh for the fine, for the six-game ban, I think it was a lot of games. They said that we have to give an example to kids. I mean, I hardly I, I believe that somehow they were trying to cut the Arsenal momentum. I, 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 really, I really do think they were trying to cut Arsenal momentum because we were going to break all the records in, in, in the Premier League. Some people, they were not happy. 
Um, this is my my think, uh, my thoughts, and I'm still thinking in the same way. Lee, you've been involved in fights at Old Trafford as well. Um, you... <laughs> <laughs> yes, you have. <laughs> but these, do you not think these things bring a team together? It certainly felt unifying to us as fans. Yeah, there's no there's no doubt that in adversity, when when a team is um, under a huge amount of pressure, the the real sense of that team comes comes to the front. It's a very spur of the moment thing. You can kind of, I say spur of the moment, th there tends to be a little bit of background to any flare up, as we've seen. You know, the 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 original battle at Old Trafford was um, came from games before that with. McLare and Winterburn, etc. So there's always something that kicks it off. But I think there was so much at stake in those Manchester United games over the over that period of time that, that it doesn't take a lot for for something to to flare it up. And that particular game, there was so much going on. Um, you know, it was one of those games where you kind of don't watch don't watch the ball, watch somewhere else on the screen it's a lot better to be at one of those games live because you can kind of forget the ball and just wander around the pitch with your eyes which is what <laughs> I do and see all sorts of things going on that nobody ever sees because the cameras the directors the everybody's watching the ball so that, yes there's some tackles going on but as uh, Lauren said about Van Nistelrooy there's stuff going on uh, behind the scenes if you like that that's part and parcel of the game and it goes on all of the time um, but it only takes a little incident and a bit of a, um, a cheat. You know, there was there was cheating going on on that pitch, and so when that happens, that's the one thing that that players re really winds players up to the point with you know enough's enough, and and it was enough at that moment in time, and it and it flared up like it did. But um, you know, you don't want to take that passion out. You don't want to. You'd, you'd rather not have a forty grand fine. I mean, that would have literally. I would have. I don't think I would have got over that forty grand when I was playing. I would have been like a year's wages. Um, so, you know, there, there is there is there is moments like that, and we like them to an extent. In a, as a fan, you know, you can put your fans head on and say, "Wow, that's you know, it's incredible to to have that feeling for your team." Um, but when it does flare over, it's you kind of afterwards you kind of go, it brings you together, but you kind of you wish it hadn't have happened. Um, in the way it did, but you kind of deep down, you kind of pleased that you've kind of got the or you, your band of brothers yeah. around you. I was, you know, I mean, interested by the reaction to when Liverpool lost the game, and and we look at it a lot. I think from it's like a badge of honour uh, for supporters that are waiting around for that moment when everyone's lost and another season goes by that no one else can achieve this thing. Now, is it the same for you as a player? Do you feel that... Were you excited when you watched Watford beating Liverpool? Does, does it make you feel glad that your sacred achievement stays a bit more rare? Sure. I mean, I was, I was happy, of course. What we did is not easy. In modern game, to be uh, win the league without losing a game, that's very difficult. So this is a big achievement. And, and also um, Manchester City last year, they couldn't do it. So therefore I'm saying that I was very pleased and I was very, very happy that Liverpool lost against Watford. <laughs> just hearing the delight in your voice has just got a big smile on my face. I'm sure we're all the same. <laughs> James, you wanted to ask about penalties, did you not? Yeah, I mean, look, I remember several great Lauren penalties. There was uh, one at White Hart Lane in a 5-4 win there. There was the first penalty 
in the 2005 uh, FA Cup final shootout, which was obviously a really tense one. There's a great penalty. But the one that everyone has been asking us about on Twitter is the, the winning goal at Highbury against Spurs, the late penalty. We had questions from at Lucy Gooner, what was going through Lauren's head at the time, at Espionaric Poet. Uh, can he describe scoring that penalty against Spurs? Lauren, what... First of all, what is your penalty technique? Are you in those situations? Are you waiting for the goalkeeper to move first? And did you feel any pressure, any nerves at that moment? Always pressure is there. Whoever said that there is no pressure is a big liar. I mean, <laughs> the pressure is always is always there. But I had the confidence because I tell you what, I came in that period of the momentum when I went to the Olympics. Uh, uh, in that Olympics, I scored three goals against. Uh, uh, Kuwait, Czech Republic, and then uh, semi-final in the la- last minute of the game against Chile, and also in the final against Spain. So uh, the momentum that uh, 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 was going on. So I had the opportunity. I saw that uh, this is my my time to uh, to score this goal because I was feeling confident. If I wasn't confident, I tell you something. I wouldn't go a step and take the penalty because if you are not confident, you're gonna miss. So the pressure was there, but I was hundred percent confident that I could score. And also, I took the opportunity because uh, Henry was uh, out of the game. <laughs> so I said, "Listen, this is my time." So I, I wasn't scared. The pressure was there, but I wasn't scared because I was hundred percent confident that I could score that because the momentum. That year, going, uh, I came from behind in the Olympics, and uh, so my, my uh, mentally I was prepared uh, to, to 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 get the chance and the penalty. We got a Twitter question from Ollie in Derby. Um, he wants to know when you first realised about Ralph being the nickname and what you thought about it. <laughs> <laughs> At the beginning, I didn't like it because what is I said, what is this Ralph? They always call me loud, so uh, why Ralph? You know why Ralph? And he said Ralph Lauren. Ah, okay, there. So it's a uh, so I, I start to understand. <laughs> yeah, but you know, I, at the beginning I didn't like it, but later when I understand what was the meaning of Ralph Lauren and then the that connection, then I take it like uh, you know, I, you know, it's, uh, yeah. I just well, you had no choice. Yeah. If you, exactly. as soon as you as soon as you show that you don't like a nickname it just sticks even harder <laughs> I said well if the fans like Ralph okay that's that's okay <laughs> yeah Amy did you have a question about Jose Antonio Reyes as well I just thought as we've got you on um uh Lauren that I mean he's a, a player that obviously and a human being that we we miss a lot and because of uh, you coming from the same part of Spain and you described your own experiences of coming over to England and finding it difficult to adapt and adjust, just what did Jose Antonio Reyes mean to you? And, you know, how much, how much can you sum up what a player he was and what a person he was? Yeah, it was, uh, I tell you, from the South. He was there, I think, three or four years. He didn't speak one word in English because South people, as I said at the beginning of the the show from the south people is difficult even to speak proper spanish so for him as well to speak spanish on the interview you could see that uh, it, it, it was uh, hard for him but what i take on jose antonio rey was a brilliant player was gifted uh, was technique was ability was he have uh, the talent 
from the streets, from south streets. The fact that uh, he, he couldn't understand what people were saying to him, but he had something uh, unique, big smile. Uh, what, I, what I like about Jose Antonio Reyes, it was uh, uh, every time I have to approach a game or people, it was with a big smile. Even he did not he didn't understand the tactic or whatever the people were saying to him, but he came out with a big smile. So it was a big loss for all of us because he was a lovely lad, lovely, he never, he was never upset. When I remember when it was kicked off all over the place against United, I was that game was terrible. Neville went against him. I don't know, it could have been 10 times red card to Gary Neville, but it was because he was kicking him. Every time he got the ball, he was in the floor, on the floor, and then he was stand up, and he was stand up with a big smile. So that's Jose Antonio Reyes. It was a big loss, so young and uh, so talented, so gifted player. So uh, what I will remember always about Jose Antonio Reyes uh, is his big smile. Fantastic lad. It's lovely to hear. We have a Twitter question before we let we let you go, Lauren. Uh, out of context, Stu, uh, Stu, uh, ninety five. Big fan of all you lovely people. He said, "I would love to know Lauren's favourite memory or story regarding Arsene Wenger." <laughs> My favourite memory. <laughs> it was many. I remember. It's the kind of guy that is listening. I remember one day we went to uh, to uh, Austria when we first the precision. Uh, it came to me. I, I think that it was uh, it was gonna say to me something wrong or that um, uh, I kicked someone or <laughs> something wrong. <laughs> I don't know. So he came, Lauren. Let me ask you something. He said, "What happened? Why? What do you think that?" We don't perform well in the Champions League. We do well in the league. We are doing very well, but why we don't perform in the Champions League as as good as we do in the league? So that's tell you that he was asking the players. Is the kind of manager that he likes to know what the players have in their mind and was to find some kind of solution so you can communicate with him very easily and sometimes. You, I had a phone call. I, I called him uh, when I was uh, uh, and, uh, had an injury, so I came to Spain to see my doctor. So I called him. I was uh, talking to a high boss. So he was quiet. It was like a lost in. I was talking, 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 and I thought that this guy is not listening to me. But suddenly, suddenly, come up, and he was. Listen every single word I was saying. So it was fantastic uh, uh, person. It was a fantastic coach, fantastic uh, human being, and also he get he liked to listen the play in order to find solution. This is what I take about Hansen Wenger: his humanity and also his way to manage uh, his club and also the way that he. Um, he understand the place in order to improve, in order to get forward. This is what I think about Wenger. Lauren, it's been uh, excellent to speak to you. I think we've all loved uh, hearing your memories of playing for Arsenal. Uh, two Premier Leagues, three FA Cups. Thank you very much for all of them. And it's been lovely to talk to you. It's lovely. It's always a pleasure talk to you guys. I hope to see you soon, uh, Lee Dixon. Why don't you I call me? Just call me. Call me sometime. You never ring me. What's wrong I with don't you? Have, I don't. 
I don't have your phone call, your phone number. Oh, I've got, I, 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 sometimes I text, I text Red, Red Pablo, Robert Pires, uh, Patrick Vieira, uh, Colotore, uh, Edu. <laughs> Just remember one thing before you go, Lauren. One thing. Yeah. I gave you the number two shirt, okay? You, you still haven't said thank you and bought me a beer yet. <laughs> okay, thank you. See you, thank you, see you my friend. See you, Lauren. <laughs> okay, speak to you soon. See you, mate. Uh, yeah, that was uh, the fantastic Lauren there. Um, and, and Lee, I, I mean, you talked about the fact that when he came in and, and Arsene Wenger asked him to convert to a right back and you sort of knew that he was the guy. Um, mm. But you did everything you can uh, to help him. It's a strange relationship, though, isn't it? The, between between uh, a senior pro and a player coming in who's basically come to take the position. Well, I think... Um... The the age difference was a, a big thing. If I'd have been, you know, if I'd have been twenty eight and and you know in my prime, and he'd have turned up and said, "Oh, you're going to be a right back," it'd have been going off left, right, and centre in training. <laughs> I can guarantee you that. And based on the fact he could handle himself and was a boxer, there's probably only one winner, and I probably would have uh, ended up leaving. I don't know because it was. But I think when you, as I said to you before, when I kind of realised, and I. Let's get it right as well. The the clubs in in it was in Lauren's blood and my blood, and so I wanted the best for the club. After I knew I couldn't play on forever, so I wanted the best. And and out of the you know I was big friends with Oleg Lushny. Me and him got on great. And it was when he came to the club, it was I, I kind of worked it out. And without being too disrespectful uh, against Oleg, because he was he was a good servant for the club. He played in a lot of various positions. Never really let the the team down. But I realised from the early on that he wasn't going to be a massive threat to me. I think I could have held him off from a positional point of view and a playing that full-back role point of view. So we got on really well. Um, and then when Lauren came, obviously I was a lot older and it was kind of like, do you know what? He he could be the one. And I, once I, I'd kind of attached that um, label on him that he was going to take over. Then I, I'd do everything in my power to help him, to to wish him well. To so when he played and I was on the bench, I didn't want him to have a bad game. I don't, you know, I wanted him to be brilliant and as to win. And um, and if I got a chance to play, which I did in that last season, I said a 12, 13 games, whatever it was. You know, I gave everything I had in those games because I knew that I wasn't going to play that many. And it was my last season, and uh, and it was it was kind of I was quite thankful that there was somebody else being able to do those hard miles because it was you know thirty eight is quite a tough league to play in. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but Amy and James, I mean you you could see that that Lee could see that that Lauren felt he was a member of a family, and so mm. he cared about the club in the same way that Lee did and that we do, and mm. so therefore he was he was you know a suitable replacement for a club legend. Well, I think also something I remember uh, him saying once was how actually he kind of took on the role that Lee provided to him in a slightly different way. But I mean, he's probably being a bit modest about how much he helped out uh, or tried to help uh, Jose Antonio Reyes. But also Colo Torre coming in, um, you know, a, a, a young, but quite naive uh, boy who just arrived from the Ivory Coast. Uh, and I think that Lauren was one of the people who, a bit like Silvino did with him, immediately went to take Colo under his wing and make sure he was feeling OK. And he invited Colo and his, uh, his wife over for Christmas um, with their, to spend with their family when he first arrived. So I think that's part of that way you want to behave when you're feeling 
like you're representing the club and the team and something greater than just your own individual ambition. And he bought into that. And, and as he got older and more experienced, was happy to share that. I'm quite interested in what Lee thinks of, um, you know, when you look overall at, at Arsene Wenger and defending, um, most people can spin this quite easy uh, a line that he inherited perhaps the best back four ever in English football, certainly one of them, which went on to play for years and years. And then after that, he created the Invincibles back four, um, sort of all by himself, but somehow doesn't quite get the credit for that because of maybe the way that defensively after that, Arsenal had vulnerabilities pretty much until the end. But when you think back to a back four of Lauren, Colo Torre, Sol Campbell, Ashley Cole, mm-hmm. um, the wherewithal to put that together um, and it was obviously organised enough with Jens Lehmann and an old, a new goalkeeper behind them to to turn into something that did, that, that did something unique is yeah. worthy of credit, no? Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, you know, and I've been critical, just my observations of, of Arsene as a coach has perhaps been on the um, on the side of the the defensive setup of a team is not his strong point. I think he, you know I would like to think he would probably agree with that. You know, they, they, they each coach has its strengths and weaknesses, and I would say that um, bar that back four that you've just mentioned, and I'll go through that in a second. That that was probably one of the areas that he could have improved at, or. Um, given some, uh, given more time and less pressure, perhaps would have um, enabled those skills to be a bit better. But if you look at that back four, that you know, Ashley Cole was coached by Tony Adams, so you can tick that box. I'm not saying Arsene didn't give him his opportunity and, and encourage everything that that Ashley was doing as a player, but he was coached by Tony Adams. Sol Campbell was a naturally brilliant defender from from a young boy, so. It, that noticing that he could <clears throat> the, the bravery to get him from Tottenham um, and bring him to Arsenal and fit him into an uh, um, the invincible back line was was a stroke of genius. So he, he gets a big pat on the back for that one. Colo Torre again, nobody knew him. Who is he? Came into a an environment that was kind of still um, under the influence of a few of the older. Um, guys and the system so he fit into that brilliantly well so Arsene takes a huge amount of credit for that and Lauren you know the same thing adapted him into a fullback um, but in an era as well that was just hanging on to me being there for I'm not blowing smoke up my what I'm saying is that you you do pass on information and, and I think that was the last the, the last um, four if you like who were bit old school got got some of the old ideas and then going into this new generation that ended up being absolutely fabulous and undefeated and and takes all the credit for that and as you said Amy from then then onwards when you when you see the likes of Ashley moving on um and and Lauren played till um he he left in 2007 I think or something like that from then onwards it was kind of like wasn't his strength again so I think Arsene, once when he came to the club, um, had the perfect storm as far as something to build on because he had all us there doing a job that was, you know, it was just said what it did on the tin and we just got on with it and he built a team around that or on top of that, if you like. And then then he had this era that you're talking about that was absolutely um, a brilliant mix of all of that and then it started to fade away. So I think from Arsene's point of view, 
Um, you know, I, I I can't speak highly enough of him and what he's done for the club. But I think he, he he was he was not lucky when he came, but he had something when he came. He built some. And let's not forget as well. He put Gilberto, who was one of the best holding players in the Premier League, in front of that back four. So he he kind of did know a little bit about defensive mentality. It just wasn't his strong point. And why should it be? He created some of the best attacking football that we've ever ever seen. Uh, Lee, we're going to let you go. Uh, lovely to speak to you as always. Stay lovely. safe. See you soon. Thanks to Lee Dixon uh, for joining us on Handbrake Off. Now, James, um, you wrote this week about the uh, the move uh, in the Athletic. You wrote about the move to Ashburton Grove uh, as as one or two diehard fans still insist on calling the Emirates. Uh, and you wrote about how it came about. Um, I, like I say, I, I didn't expect to see the Kabbalah mentioned, Jewish <laughs> mystical book. Uh, but um, yeah, you wrote about the move. Yeah, I mean, I didn't expect to to find out about the Kabbalah being involved, but there you go. It, it is quite an interesting story. A guy called Anthony Spencer, who was essentially a, a property magnate, who magnate's probably not the right word, dealer who helped Arsenal identify the. Um, the site at Ashburton Grove. And of course, the difficult thing was then acquiring all these plots of land from the people who held them. And it was in one of those negotiations that Anthony Spencer sort of went into this guy. He was a car mechanic who was unwilling to sell. And it was only when Anthony Spencer started waving the Kabbalah around and standing on one leg, pleading with the guy that they sort of shared a kind of moment of spiritual connection across faith, across cultures. And he said, you know what, I could do this deal. And Arsenal got the job done. It's sort of been you know, in, enshrined in Arsenal folklore now. But it is it is funny to think how things might have turned out if they'd ended up somewhere differently. Well, that's the interesting thing, Amy. I mean, the fact is we were looking at other sites. King's Cross was coming up as well. But when that last game of the uh, the game at Highbury against uh, Wigan and we, we came out of the stadium and, what, less than half a mile away is our new stadium all shining and ready to go into, it seemed like the most obvious place in the world at that point. I mean, it wasn't obvious because uh, I, I live locally and none of us have, it didn't occur to anybody, I don't think, that there was this great patch of land because, I mean, it was land that was used. It, it was absolutely, I mean, it literally was a dump. I mean, it, 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 part of it was the old waste recycling place, so technically it was a bit of a rubbish dump. Um, but there were various other businesses there um, on the site. And I, I just remember the periods, I mean, honestly... To this day, years later, I still struggle with not being at Highbury. I can't pretend that I love the Emirates and I understood why it had to happen. And I'm glad that lots more people and new generations of supporters get to go, which with the restricted capacity of Highbury became increasingly impossible. Um, but as for, you know, for those of us who were fortunate enough to grow up watching our football there, it's not really something I... I've come to terms, I'm not sure I ever will in a way, because I loved it that much. Um, but actually staying in the area was the next most important thing. It, once it became obvious that that the club were absolutely determined to have a, you know, a bigger home with bigger income, bigger commercial capacity and so on, uh, as a way of trying to be, stay ambitious, um, I, it sort of terrified me that there might be this plot on the M25 somewhere and everyone would have to somehow get out there and it would have no kind of connection to to the area because it, 
anybody who even walks around um, in five, Arsenal's everywhere. Um, I used to constantly love how, you know, I'd see the postman in the morning and he'd be moaning about this player or that. And then you'd go and get a pint of milk and chat away to a person in the shop about, oh, there's a game on this weekend, who you're playing. And it, it, even though people come once every, whatever it is, week or couple of weeks when a game is on to the area, Arsenal is part of that area all day, every day uh, for people who, who live nearby. And um, it, it scared me witless that that was going to go. Uh, so I'm, I remain very, very grateful that Arsenal are still in the heartland. Yeah, walking the same streets is not a small thing, I think, at the no. end of the day. Um, Amy, you, meanwhile, have been writing about Dennis Burkamp's favourite goals. This could have been this could have been a book rather than just an <laughs> article. I just thought it was instructive that he didn't choose the Newcastle one because for most people, or a lot of people, that's the one. Um, and I can see why, because... Somebody wrote a tweet summing it up quite nicely this week um, saying that it's so unique because I've never seen anyone try that move before or since. The virtuoso nature of just kind of creating something that is, is uh, an unusual combination of, of techniques within the game and it, it, it actually kind of turning into a glorious goal. It means that for a lot of people that's the one. But for Dennis... Um, and I think his reason is basically the Holland against Argentina goal is his one. Um, so the Leicester goal, which is its kind of cousin, I suppose, because they're so similar in terms of the, the, the way that the goal unfolds, is probably his, his number one Arsenal goal. He seems to think there's a, a certain amount of uh, a fortune involved in the Newcastle game goal, not because of what he chose to do, but because of, Dabazas maybe not doing what other defenders might have done. Uh, I think he's maybe being a bit harsh there. <laughs> um, but for whatever reason, his choice uh, isn't the Newcastle game, which is fascinating. James, what your, what's your favourite Burkham goal while we're talking about it? I think I think my mum said this on the on the Burkham pod, but I think it's the Sunderland goal for me, yeah. just for the celebration afterwards as well. I think I love that one. For me, it's not actually a goal. It's that, that assist for Freddie Lundberg. That, uh, that little flicked assist. Yeah, that's great. Before we go, um, there was a we were going to talk about um, uh, Quincy as a rapper, <laughs> were we not? Because this is part of this. Who, whose idea was this? Was this you, James? Uh, yeah, I, I interviewed Quincy. Basically, I heard that he had sort of he'd quit football at 30 and he'd been releasing records under a sort of pseudonym for a while. And then in his for his recent EP, he'd kind of unveiled, oh, it's me, it's Quincy Owusu Abey. And I've got great memories of Quincy in those Carling Cup teams around the same sort of time as Cesc Fabregas broke through. They made their debut in the same game, actually, against Rotherham in 2003. And uh, there was, you know, a couple of years where I thought he really had something about him. A quick feet, he was very fast, uh, could finish too. But he had a very sort of, a, a quite a journeyman-esque career. And I think by the end of it, he wasn't particularly happy. You know, I spoke to him and he said... You know, you're going to clubs, you've got a bit of a bad reputation as a bit of a troublemaker. Nobody trusts you. You've got to have a trial everywhere. Um, and he just wasn't really enjoying his football anymore. And he fell head over heels, really, in love with music. He always had been into music. When he was at Spartak Moscow, he had a recording studio actually in his house and was sort of making music for himself and his mates. And yeah, and now he's now he's out there rapping in Holland. Yeah, Fendi. 
Ze zegt ze wil drippen in Fendi In de Kelly open dak Ferrari Caribbean Sea on a jet ski Yeah, flexing Er is genoeg moela voor die flexing Skybar view where the mandiel Hey. It was it was great to chat to him. Actually, he's a, a lovely guy, and I wish him all the best with it. I think footballers, you know, they've got to think about what they want to do after they retire. Anyway, it might as well be something that you you love doing if it can be. Quite absolutely. Well, while we're on the subject of songs, as we've had our special guest Lauren, uh, Amy, do you have a song for Lauren before we go? There is a Prince song right back here in my arms. I thought that'll <laughs> I'm do. Like, I'm That's liking the sound of that. <laughs> James? Uh, so I sort of cheated because I went with the Lee Dixon pronunciation of Lauren's name and just chose Lauren Hill, that thing. Uh, it's the only thing I can think of. Yeah, lovely song. I've got Ashford and Simpson, solid. Right? Yeah, that's nice too. He was solid as a rock, that man, and we're very glad uh, to have him. This has been the Handbrake Off podcast for The Athletic. Thank you to Amy Lawrence and James McNicholas. Thank you, guys. Cheers. Thanks a lot. Lee Dixon and also our special guest, Lauren. And also thanks to Taya Papula for beautifully producing the show. As always, I'm Ian Stone. Thank you for listening. Keep washing those hands and stay indoors. (laughs) 